With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. In a hollow cave, Keto bore another monster, irresistible, in no wise like either to mortal men or to the undying gods, the goddess fierce Echidna, who is half a nymph with glancing eyes and fair cheeks and half again a huge snake, great and awful, with speckled skin eating raw flesh beneath the secret parts of the holy earth. And there she has a cave deep down under a hollow rock, far from the deathless gods and mortal men. There, then, did the gods appoint her a glorious house to dwell in, and she keeps guard in Arima beneath the earth grim Echidna, a nymph who dies not, nor grows old all her days. Men say that Typhon, the terrible, outrageous, and lawless, was joined in love to her, the maid with glancing eyes. So she conceived and brought forth fierce offspring. First she bare Othros, the hound of Geryones, and then again she bare a second, a monster not to be overcome and that may not be described. Cerberus, who eats raw flesh, the brazen-voiced hound of Hades, fifty-headed, relentless and strong. 
And again she bore a third, the evil-minded Hydra of Lerna, whom the goddess, white-armed Hera, nourished, being angry beyond measure with the mighty Heracles. And her, Heracles, the son of Zeus of the house Amphitryon, together with warlike Iolaus, destroyed with the unpitying sword through the plans of Athena, the spoil-driver. She was the mother of Chimera, who breathed raging fire, a creature fearful, great, swift-footed, and strong, who had three heads, one of a grim-eyed lion, in her hinder part a dragon, and in her middle a goat, breathing forth a fearful blast of blazing fire. Her did Pegasus and noble Bellerophon slay, but Echidna was subject in love to Orthrus and brought forth the deadly Sphinx, which destroyed the Cadmians and the Nimian lion, which Hera, the good wife of Zeus, brought up and made to haunt the hills of Nimia a plague to men. There he preyed upon the tribes of her own people and had power over Tretus of Nimia and Apisas. Yet the strength of stout Heracles overcame him. Oh, hi. Hello, nerds. Welcome, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv. Finally, finally here with a new episode. Thank you all again for your patience. I mean, I'm grateful for your patience, but fuck if I'm not more grateful to have also finally had some time to myself. It was really nice. I've been doing this a long time without any help, and frankly, with the current size of the podcast and the amount of content I put out, it's becoming a bit wild that I do this all just me. But hey, I'm working on that. For now, here I am with a spooky season episode. Spooky season is my favorite time of the year. I absolutely love when the weather gets all dark and rainy and we watch horror movies and scare ourselves and maybe dress up in costumes too. It's just the best, which is always why I've brought you spooky season content for the podcast. We've covered curses and werewolves and witches and men who hurt trees and then eat themselves. We've covered horror and tragedy when it comes to the lives of women at this point, I think I've really covered all there is to say when it comes to the spookiest aspects of Greek myth, but fortunately, I've got some cool people coming on the show for the last two weeks to talk about more spooky content. <sighs> but as for these Tuesday episodes, well, I've decided that there's one topic that I covered so, so, so long ago in the podcast that there was just no way I didn't have more and better information to give you all now. That's right, monsters. But first, not just any monsters, the original monsters. The couple who spawned a dynasty of all the most troubling and famous and horrifying monstrosities of Greek myth. Monsters and monstrous and horrifying creatures are such staples of Greek myth that I covered them in one of the first spooky season episodes way back in 2017 when this podcast started. It was a mini, it was brief, I had so few sources to refer to. The monsters of myth deserve better. 
This is episode 141. So many snakes. The prolific monster dynasty of Typhius and Echidna. Every story of monstrous and horrifying creatures of Greek mythology begins with Typhon, or Typhius, which is what I'll mostly call him now. It's a bit more ancient of a name, and frankly, I just enjoy the sound of it. Typhius. He of all the heads and all the snakes. Typhius was born of Gaia and Tartarus. This means he was born of the earth itself, alongside the deepest, darkest depths of the earth that is Tartarus. Tartarus, of course, functions as a part of the underworld, the deep, dark pit of the underworld. But because of that, it's understood that he also exists within Gaia. This is why Uranus and later Kronos imprisoning the Hecatonchires and giants within Tartarus was such a horrible affront. They were being imprisoned against their mother's wishes, within their mother. What does this mean about Typhius's conception? Mostly it's weird and dark, just like Typhius himself. So many snakes. And Echidna. Her birth was part of what I just read to you at the top of this episode. She is another child of Quito, the famous monster who birthed the Gorgons. But she is so much more spooky in this than even the Gorgons. She's meant to be this nymph that's half snake, undying. She sort of lures you in by being a nymph and then bam, bottom half snake, eating raw flesh, hiding out in a cave in the darkest depths of the earth. For Typhius, the variations on him as a being are fascinating. Which stories the monstrous creature is a part of vary depending on the source, what he looks like, and just how the so many snakes are arranged <laughs> varies greatly too, both by literary source and in visual depictions. I personally wonder if the visuals are more so because it was would be particularly difficult to paint a vase featuring a creature with quite so many snakes. Pseudo-Apollodorus, a source writing fairly late in the period, but probably working off of sources that we don't have anymore, describes Typhius in the most horrible and fascinating of ways. Quote, Typhon was a mixture of man and beast, the largest and strongest of all Earth's children, down to the thighs, he was human in form, so large that he extended beyond all the mountains, while his head often touched even the stars. One hand reached to the west, the other to the east, and attached to these were one hundred heads of serpents. Also from the thighs down, he had great coils of vipers, which extended to the top of his head and hissed mightily. All of his body was winged, and the hair that flowed in the wind from his head and cheeks was matted and dirty. In his eyes flashed fire. Such were the appearance and the size of Typhon as he hurled red-hot rocks at the sky itself, and set out for it with mixed hisses and shouts as a great storm of fire boiled forth from his mouth. 
How fucking cool is that paragraph? As for the sound a monster like Typhius makes, according to Hesiod, he could do it all. He could sound human. He could sound like a lion. He could sound like anything horrible or anything good. He could trick you. He could sound like everything and anything. Still earlier, other sources tend to describe him as having 100 heads, often snakes. Ultimately, what is clear is that Typhius, Typhon, is basically just the worst monster anyone could imagine at any given time. And also, notably, the biggest. He was, quite simply, terrifying. So many snakes. He was incredibly fucking cool. He was also the father of monsters. Many, many monsters. Some of the most famous and horrifying monsters of Greek myth. And often when he isn't the father of a particularly troubling creature, it's because he's simply its grandfather instead. Alongside the equally snaky but more deceptive female monster Echidna, Typhius goes on to become the father of some of the most terrifying creatures of Greek myth. That's the portion of Hesiod's Theogony that I read at the top of this episode. You know how I love to read Hesiod's Theogony to you all. Stay tuned for more. Echidna, though, is a fascinating creature herself, though much less described than Typhius. Her name means poisonous viper. So again, we can assume snakes, or rather at least one large snake for her bottom half. She's also sometimes conflated with the python that Apollo had to defeat in order to found Delphi on the spot on Mount Parnassus. In the Homeric hymn to Apollo, Echidna is that python, that serpent in the cave on the mountain, but in that telling she is the daughter of Hera alone when the goddess struck the earth in her anger at Zeus. According to others, Echidna is, like Typhius, the child of Gaia and Tartarus, perhaps even more associated with Tartarus and everything within. She may have existed to represent certain aspects of the dark parts of the earth, rot, slime, fetid waters. From a story perspective, Echidna exists, mostly, to be the mother of these monsters alongside Typhius. That bit from Hesiod is some of the only detail we have about her. But still, boy are these monsters worth the limited stories of Echidna. The children of Typhius and Echidna vary more than a lot of mythological figures. They're always the parents of many monsters, but how many and who those monsters are changed and evolved over time. According to Hesiod's Theogony, and therefore the earliest surviving source for the intricacies of Typhius and Echidna, they are the parents of Cerberus, the three-headed dog that guards the entrance to the underworld. Cerberus, as you might remember, is often not described as all that dog-like. Hesiod at the top mentions 50 heads. These days he's often depicted as simply a three-headed dog, and therefore cute and cuddly and furry, if maybe a bit mean. But Cerberus had a bit more going on in the ancient Greek sources, namely because of his parents. Snakes. So many snakes. (laughs) 
See, Cerberus, this classic three-headed dog, was actually described as having a serpent's tail, a mane of snakes, and lion's claws. Or, again, like Hesiod said, 50 heads. But Theoi.com, that I love so much, theorizes that that might have been counting all of the snakes on the dog's mane. I'll say this again for good measure. A dog with a mane of snakes. Anyway, Cerberus is freaky as fuck, and he's the son of Typhius and Echidna. And Cerberus isn't the only freaky, multi-headed dog born of Typhius and Echidna. He's just the more famous one. There's also Orthros, the two-headed, snake-tailed dog, whose job it was to guard the cattle of Geryon. Orthros is really only a part of Heracles' story during his twelve labors. He's sent to retrieve the cattle of Geryon, and because he's Heracles, he easily defeats both Orthros and his owner, the giant Geryon. But wait, more snakes. The Larnian Hydra is pretty widely accepted as a child of Typhius and Echidna, and it's also one of the most all-time famous and super-fucking-cool Greek myth monsters. This Hydra, you may all remember from those early Heracles episodes, or straight up from the Disney movie, is that incredible thing with all the many serpent snake heads, nine to be precise, where when you cut off one, two grow in its place. Pretty quickly, you'll find yourself in a spot of trouble with the Hydra. It wouldn't take long to multiply those heads to the point where you've got a thing in front of you that is, yes, so many snakes. Of course, Heracles and his friend Aeolus were lucky enough to figure out the trick pretty early on. Whenever Heracles would lop off one of the Hydra's many, many heads, it would be followed up with a singe to cauterize the neck and prevent the two heads from growing from it. But the defeat of these badass beasts isn't the point of today's episodes. I just fucking love the Hydra and all of Typhius's and Echidna's other many, many children. Would that they have lived forever. Still, I saved the best for last. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The Chimera. I fucking love the Chimera. It's just, well, it's an incredibly cool and weird creature that has lent its name to the English word for really any mashup of creatures. There's even a shark species that's called a Chimera because of how it looks like about a million other things all in one. But that's the modern interpretation of the word, the modern sharky Chimera. But the ancient Chimera? Oh, he's a hot mess of amazing proportions. The mythological chimera, this monstrous child of Typhaeus and Echidna, might look from afar like a lion. A glance in the distance at the chimera, and that's all you'd see. A big lion. Get a little closer, though, and you might begin to notice the differences. That is, until a goat's head that grows off the lion's back starts yelling at you with an angry guttural bah. (laughs) And then when both of those heads start to breathe literal fire... That's when you'd know you're not facing any standard lion, and in fact, you're in for some serious trouble. When the lion's tail flicks around to reveal a snake that can also breathe fire, you're well and truly fucked. That is, unless you're the hero Bellerophon, who was the only hero to actually ride the flying horse named Pegasus. Between the two of you, the flying and the skill with the spear, you might have a chance against the monstrous many weird headed fire breathing chimera fuck i love the chimera i mean who came up with that it's incredible and the weird amalgamation of creatures didn't end with the chimera because like i said earlier typhaeus and echidna are not only the parents of all the most famous monsters but also the grandparents The Chimera, it seems, got together with its brother, Orthros, the two-headed dog with a snake's tail, and they had a couple of famous children. The Nimian lion, for one, that is, the lion also hunted by Heracles, the lion whose skin could not be pierced by any weapon, the lion who would become the lion cape that Heracles wore in all of his most iconic moments. And the Sphinx. Ugh! The Sphinx. According to Greek mythology, and I specify Greek because, of course, the Egyptians have an arguably even more famous Sphinx in their ancient world. The Greek mythology Sphinx was a woman with the body of a lion and eagle's wings. The Egyptian Sphinx is similar, but if I understand correctly, he's usually a man, whereas the Greek is a woman. Maybe they were secretly a couple. That would be cute. The Sphinx of Greek myth is famed for living just outside the very Egyptianly named city, Thebes. She is, as we all well remember, defeated by Oedipus. And those are the most ancient stories of the children and grandchildren of Typhaeus and Echidna. 
Later sources would go on to claim that the dragon of Colchis, defeated by Jason with the explicit and vital help of Medea, and the Hesperian dragon who guarded the golden apple garden of the Hesperides, along with basically every other famous dragon or monster, were also the children of Typhaeus, if not Echidna as well. They were the easy parentage. If you had a horrible creature, a monstrous beast with any kind of snake-like or serpentine qualities, they could easily have been the children of Typhaeus and Echidna, and wouldn't that make them all the more terrifying? But what about those monster parents, the couple that started it all? Their love story isn't only about their children. What more did the monstrous, beloved couple of Typhaeus and Echidna do in the wide world of Greek myth? Well, Hesiod said it best. But when Zeus had driven the Titans from heaven, huge earth bare her youngest child, Typhaeus, of the love of Tartarus by the aid of golden Aphrodite. Strength was with his hands in all that he did, and the feet of the strong god were untiring. From his shoulders grew a hundred heads of a snake, a fearful dragon with dark, flickering tongues, and from under the brows of his eyes and his marvelous heads flashed fire, and fire burned from his heads as he glared, and there were voices in all his dreadful heads which uttered every kind of sound unspeakable, for at one time they made sounds such that the gods understood but at another this noise of a bull bellowing aloud in proud, ungovernable fury, and at another the sound of a lion, relentless at heart, and at another sounds like whelps, wonderful to hear. And again at another he would hiss, so that the high mountains re-echoed. And truly a thing past help would have happened on that day, and he would have come to reign over mortals and immortals, had not the father of men and gods been quick to perceive it. But he thundered hard and mightily, and the earth around resounded terribly, and the wide heaven above, and the sea and ocean streams, and the nether parts of the earth. Great Olympus reeled beneath the divine feet of the king as he arose, and earth groaned thereat. And through the two of them heat took hold on the dark blue sea, through the thunder and lightning and through the fire from the monster and the scorching winds and blazing thunderbolt. The whole earth seized and the sky and sea and the long waves raged along the beaches round and about at the rush of the deathless gods. And there arose an endless shaking. Hades trembled where he rules over the dead below, and the Titans under Tartarus who live with Kronos because of the unending clamor and the fearful strife. So when Zeus had raised up his might and seized his arms, thunder and lightning and lurid thunderbolt, he leaped from Olympus and struck him and burned all the marvelous heads of the monster about him. But when Zeus had conquered him and lashed him with strokes, Typhaeus was hurled down a maimed wreck. 
so that the huge earth groaned, and flame shot forth from the thunder-stricken lord in the dim, rugged glens of the mount when he was smitten. A great part of earth was scorched by the terrible vapor, and melted as tin melts when heated by men's arts in channeled crucibles, or as iron, when his hardest of all things, is softened by a glowing fire in mountain glens and melts in the divine earth through the strength of Hephaestus. Even so, then, the earth melted in the glow of the blazing fire, and in the bitterness of his anger Zeus cast him into wide Tartarus. That's right, Typhaeus fought Zeus, and, well, he nearly won. Gaia gave birth to Typhaeus specifically so that he could fight Zeus, though it's not entirely clear why. Zeus had overthrown Kronos, who overthrew Uranus, and maybe Gaia is looking to take back some control? Pairing up with Tartarus, the personification of the deepest, darkest, and most horrible depths of the underworld, Gaia gave birth to Typhaeus. Gaia's motivations aren't entirely clear. From a story perspective, it honestly might have just been that Zeus had yet another thing to overcome. He wanted another divine hardship, and therefore really cement himself as the king of the gods. Regardless, boy did Typhaeus put up a fight. According to Hesiod's description of their epic battle that I've just read you all because I had to, you know me, Typhaeus fights the Olympians and Zeus conquers him, throwing the monstrous creature into the depths of Tartarus, essentially tossing him into his own father. In other sources, we get into more gruesome details of their battle. According to Pseudo-Apollodorus, among some others, not only did Typhaeus put up a fight against Zeus, but he actually stole the god's very sinews. He steals away Zeus's innards, and according to this take on it, they're retrieved by Hermes and another god who might be some archaic form of Pan. But there's another source for this sinew-stealing moment. A very late poet named Nonus from Roman Egypt in the 5th century AD. So yeah, very, very late. He wrote an epic poem called the Dionysiaca. It's ostensibly about Dionysus, but also goes into detail on so many other stories and myths, particularly those that revolve around Dionysus's ancestry, like Cadmus. Nonus is the ancient source that survives, telling the version of Typhaeus's battle with the Olympians where he actually defeats them. He leaves them broken and bleeding, their ichor soaking into the earth below Mount Olympus. In Nonus's epic, Typhaeus defeats the Olympians to such an extent that, like in Apollodorus, he manages to steal Zeus's sinews. When it says sinews too, I like to picture it was basically like Typhaeus stole Zeus's muscles, like all the important bits within him that kept him from basically being a pile of crumpled skin and bones. This, according to Nonus's lengthy and wildly epic telling of Typhaeus' battle with the Olympians, is when Cadmus comes in. Now, I told you a variation of that story way back in one of the earliest episodes about Cadmus, but I told it to you from this wild and incredible book that I love called The Marriage of Cadmus and Harmony, a work that retells myths in very unique ways and can't always be trusted to be originating from the most ancient sources. It's not an academic book. Back then, I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out where the author, Roberto Colasso, found this bit about Cadmus saving the Olympians, rescuing Zeus, defeating Typhaeus, and returning Zeus's very sinews to his body. Then I discovered Nonus, 
Noo is known as a wild ride all around. It's so long and weird and varying in its content. It's so long. But hey, stolen sinews and the hero Cadmus, I will take it. The monstrous Typhius is nothing if not, well, troubling. There are so many incredibly visceral and violent descriptions of the creature spanning so much of ancient Greek literature. So to finish off this monstrously spooky season episode about the king of the monsters, a few more eerie, snake-like, and troubling descriptions of this magnificently serpentine beast. Aeschylus, the tragedian with the oldest surviving works, wrote of Typhius, Typhon here, in Prometheus Bound, a play that I'm very excited to be announcing that will be soon covered on the podcast. Quote, That destructive monster of a hundred heads, impetuous Typhon, he withstood all the gods hissing out terror with horrid jaws, while from his eyes lightened a hideous glare, as though he would storm by forth the sovereignty of Zeus. But the unsleeping bolt of Zeus came upon him, the swooping lightning brand with breath of flame, which struck him, frightened from his loud-mouthed boasts. Then, stricken to the very heart, he was burnt to ashes, and his strength blasted from him by the lightning bolt. And now, a helpless and a sprawling bulk, he lies hard by the narrows of the sea, pressed down beneath the roots of Etna, while on the topmost summit Hephaestus sits and hammers the molten ore. There, one day, shall burst forth rivers of fire with savage jaws devouring the level fields of Sicily, land of fair fruit, such boiling rage shall Typhon, although charred by the blazing lightning of Zeus, send spouting forth with hot jets of appalling fire-breathing surge. You see why I have to read so many quotes this time? It's just badass. A late 2nd century AD Greek mythographer named Antonius Liberalis wrote of Typhon, quote, Typhon was the son of Gaia, a deity monstrous because of his strength and of outlandish appearance. There grew out of him numerous heads and hands and wings, while from his thighs came huge coils of snakes. He emitted all kinds of roars and nothing could resist his might. Pseudo Hyenus, another later source, wrote, quote, Typhon, a creature of immense size and fearful shape, who had a hundred dragon heads springing from his shoulders. And finally, Pindar, the Greek poet from the 5th century BC, referred to the monster simply as, quote, Typhon, the hundred headed. So what happened to Typhon, Typhius, this hundred snaky-headed monstrous child of Gaia and Tartarus? According to some, he ended up in Tartarus, like I said earlier, imprisoned within his own father. According to others, he lies beneath mountains, volcanoes, rumbling angrily within Etna or Vesuvius, among others. Or maybe he ended up in the east, under an angry mountain there. And Echidna, for all we know, she's still deep in that cave, 
half-snaky, all covered in slime and fetid water. Wherever Typhoeus and Echidna are, just know all their snakes are writhing and hissing, just waiting to come upon anyone who finds them. Oh, nerds, thank you all so much for listening, as always. I'm so thrilled to be back with a new episode, but I'm also so grateful to those who listened along to the re-airs I've posted lately, or just skip past them, that's fine too, particularly those, though, who understood why I needed to do that, why I needed to take some time off. Right now, I'm looking at how I can make this podcast not so much of a one-woman job, how I could take on some help, but in the meantime, it's still just me me creating these four to five thousand word episodes for every Tuesday and coordinating conversations, making relationships, recording and editing them for Friday episodes. I absolutely love that I get to do this. Don't get me wrong. It is the absolute coolest job in the world, but it's also incredibly stressful, time consuming and exhausting, hence needing help. But in the meantime, it's still just me. And sometimes I need to keep myself from having some kind of stress breakdown. Thus, time off. Time off I took and re-aired a few episodes. I say all this because some of you may not understand why this happens, and instead question why I would need to re-release re-aired episodes. I re-air old ones because the algorithm needs you to have new episodes, but I can't always prepare them all in advance because of the amount of work that it takes to prepare the episodes. So your patience, your listening to re-airs, your skipping past them, but still, you know, listening to new episodes, all of that is so appreciated. Sometimes I just need to breathe. Anyway, all to say, I appreciate those of you who get it, who just listened along and enjoyed them, or just, you know, reassured me that taking time off is good. It's stressful. I worry people won't come back. It's a whole thing. But, you know, I do my best. I pick re-airs intentionally. I have some fun, provide you with something that you might have missed or that really suits the show, like spooky season. I don't entirely know what I'm saying here, but the ultimate point is, Be kind and remember that free content still comes from somewhere and it takes some work to make. (laughs) You're all amazing. I'm so thrilled to be back. Again, I'm very grateful for what I have. I've got an incredible episode coming on Friday, too, about Scream Queens, if you can believe it. Fucking, I love that whole genre. Slashers from over the decades, primarily Scream. So if you think I'm going to pass up naming an episode after a quote from Scream, think again. Stay tuned for Friday. I've got so much planned overall. We're going back into the wild world of new mythological content, brand new episodes, brand new conversations, very cool things in the works. (sighs) Thank you. I am Liv and I fucking love this shit. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.